Thank you for tuning in to the Connection College podcast. We are the college ministry of Connection Church. Our desire is to connect you with others, equip you to follow Jesus, and send you out to impact the world. For more information about our ministry, you can follow us on social media or visit our website at connection.church college. Today's talk is by our college pastor, Austin Hagen. All right, all right. Well, you guys ready to jump in tonight? Cool. Was that Daisy Gray? Was that you? <laughs> well, it's uh, good to be back with you tonight. We took a, I took a little break last week, and Jordan preached, and I loved what he had to say. I opened up this new series that we're in um, called Glad You Asked, and we're just tackling a few kind of tough questions that seem to, for whatever reason, kind of hang us up sometimes. And even if they don't hang you up and cause like a lot of stress, a lot of times what you do is you just kind of abort the question and you just go, well, I just won't think about it anymore because I'm not sure what the answer to that question is. And so we kicked this off last week talking about, is the Bible a trustworthy document? And so can we really trust the Bible? I mean, it's thousands of years old. It's written by tons of different people. Like, can we really trust it? And I thought he did a phenomenal job. In fact, um, he went through a couple of different things, and we have them on a document. Uh, it's kind of you know reasons why I can trust the Bible. And um, if you didn't get a copy of it, we have some printed out there in the Next Steps area. If you'd like, you can pick one up on your way out. I think it's super helpful to look through, and uh, would love for you to do that. So we're going to jump into the next question of the night. But before we do that, I want to... Uh, just in like a little vulnerable moment here, I'd like to confess something. Is that okay? Nothing, nothing crazy, but, uh, but, but yeah, I just want a moment of confession. It's good for the soul, right? So um, I have learned something about myself over the years, and I have a feeling it's not just me. In fact, I know it is some other people, so maybe it's some of you in here tonight. In fact, I'm hoping so. That way I don't feel so alone. Um, but what I have learned about myself is that I tend to um, avoid things that I know the reality of that thing is going to be something that I don't want to hear, right? Or I, so if I just avoid something, if I know what I'm going to discover is something I will not want to have discovered. Does that make sense? So I do not want to even ask the question, how are hot dogs made? Because I know that I do not want the answer to that question because it will keep me from it just enjoying the deliciousness of a hot dog. So I just avoid that question, right? I, <laughs> hopefully some of you do this. Sometimes I will avoid looking at my bank account because I just don't even want to know how much is in there. Like, just don't tell me how close I am to the bottom. I'd rather just avoid it and, and just pretend like it's not even there. Does that resonate with anybody? Okay, <laughs> so glad to hear. Um, you know, it's kind of funny, but it can get kind of serious. So, so maybe you avoid checking your grades because you just don't want to see that F, right? You just don't, you just want to pretend that it's a B. It's not, it's an F. You should check it and you should do something about it. But, but the reason you don't want to do it is because you know as soon as you look at it, then you're kind of responsible, like you're, you're kind of held accountable to do something about it, you know? And, and so it is kind of silly, but it, it rolls over into things in life that really matter. And so one thing that I've experienced is I'll avoid asking my wife, like, Hey, how are we doing? Like, how are, are we in a good place? Are we healthy? Is there anything I can do to serve you better? Is there anything I can do? Or maybe there's some things I'd like to tell you. We just avoid having that conversation because I'm afraid that she may actually say something that will require that I do something. 
And so I'd rather just avoid it altogether because I'm afraid of what's on the other side. And I think that that's actually true in faith sometimes as well. That we just avoid some questions because we don't really want to know what the answer is. Because we're kind of afraid of what that answer might be. And I love how Jordan challenged us last week by saying, hey, you guys are adults now. And you really need to firm up and establish what do you believe about some things. Not just for yourself, but for the sake of maybe telling someone else and sharing with someone else. And so the question tonight that we're going to tackle, I think is a pretty tough one, but it's one that I hear often in college ministry because there's just some nuance to it and and it's weird and we don't know the answer to it. And it's this question, can a Christian lose their salvation? Can a Christian lose their salvation? Now, I recognize that we have all different types of people here and maybe different kind of levels of faith. Maybe you just came to know Jesus last week or last month, or maybe you've known him for, you know, 10 years. So I want to just kind of start by describing what do we mean um, by Christian? What do we mean by salvation? So let me just give kind of a, a brief description real quick. It starts with this. You and I were born sinners, All of humanity is born into this world as a sinner, okay? The Bible says that we are actually enemies of God from the very beginning. Now, I know that's not what you want to hear because your mama told you that you were the sweetest little baby in the whole world, right? And I'm sure you were, but you're actually born an enemy of God. Like, you don't even have the capacity to seek God. You're born an enemy. of. You're born a sinner. You have a sinful nature. You're an enemy of him. And I always kind of chuckle whenever I ask people like, hey, tell me a little bit about your, you know, your faith journey or what's, what's faith been like in your life. And a lot of times people start with, uh, well, you know, I've always been a Christian. And I just kind of chuckle and I let them go because I, I think I know what they mean. But listen to that statement. I've always been a Christian. Is that true? It's not, Right. You're not always a Christian. You were actually born an enemy of God. And so being a Christian is a decision that you have made at some point in your life to put your faith and your trust in him. Unfortunately, the Bible says that there is a price for the sinful state that you and I are born in and the sins that we commit. And it's found in Romans chapter 6, verse 23. I just want to put it on the screen and read one little verse to you. It says, for the wages of sin is what? Death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So the price for our sin, for our sinful state that we are born into, the price for it is death. It's a spiritual death. It's a separation from God. It's this fact that you cannot please God Because of your sinful nature, it's impossible to do it. And so the good news is, is that God in his ridiculous, radical, sacrificial love for you began weaving a story together thousands of years ago to come up with a solution for the sinful state that you find yourself in as a young child. And so we have this perfect, holy, righteous God, and then there's us, little kids and sometimes even adults who are actually opposed to God, enemies of him. 
And so God sends his only son, Jesus, to live a perfect life and to bear the weight of your sin and your shame and to actually kill your sin and your shame on the cross with himself. So he pays the price for you and I, thus making a way for those who believe in him and confess his lordship over their life. And so we often talk about how someone asked Jesus into their heart. Have you heard this before? I asked Jesus into my heart. Or we say in, in some way or some words that someone gives their life to Jesus. So what exactly, what exactly happens at this moment of salvation? When someone asks Jesus into their heart, they give their life to Jesus and they are saved, is the word that we give to it. They are saved. What exactly happens at the moment that you are saved? So I want to talk about that just for a minute. And to do so, I want to talk about a kind of lengthy academic word that is called justification. Turn to your neighbor and say, justify what? Some of you didn't do it, and I'm disappointed. <laughs> justification. Yeah, justification. Can you say that? Justification? Justification, yeah. And one easy way to remember this word justification is essentially the definition of it is just as I never sinned, okay? Justification, just as I never sinned. And David talked about it a little bit when he was up here. Simply put, to justify is to declare righteous, okay? Justification is an act of God whereby he pronounces a sinner to be righteous because of that sinner's faith in Jesus Christ. So I want to read another verse or a couple verses out of Romans chapter 3 that will kind of guide us for the next few minutes here. Romans chapter 3, verse 21. Write that down if you're taking notes. It says this, But now apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been revealed, attested by the law and the prophets. The righteousness of God is through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. To all who what? Believe. To all who believe. Since there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. They are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. They are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. So, a couple points about justification. First thing is this. Justification comes apart from your good works. So you are justified not because you performed a certain amount of religious duties, not because you lived the right way or whatever. You are justified through faith in Jesus Christ. Also, justification is made possible by the sacrificial death of Jesus. It is only based upon the blood that was shed for you and me. It's made possible, made possible by the sacrificial death of Jesus. And lastly, justification is the free and gracious gift of God given to those who receive by faith the sacrifice of Jesus. It is the free and gracious gift of God. So you are justified. You are justified by faith. 
So a couple things that happen when someone is justified. Number one, the cancellation of the penalty of sin. The penalty of your sin is absorbed by Jesus Christ. And thus, now you are justified. You are no longer responsible to pay for your sin because it has been paid for by someone else. The second thing that happens is the restoration to God's favor. Now remember we said that because of our sinful nature, we are alienated from God. We're actually enemies of God. We're opposed to God. And so now because of justification, we are now accepted. It's not just that you are declared right, like in legal terms, that you go from guilty to now non-guilty, but it's that you go from being alienated to being accepted. You are now accepted by God because you are now justified. And so we are invited back into a relationship with God because of the work of Jesus Christ. And we are now, Scripture says in James chapter 2, that we are now friends of God. That's good news, isn't it? That we are now friends of God because we have been justified. And even in Romans chapter 8, it says that we are co-heirs with Christ. Wow. The third thing that happens is another fancy word. It's called the imputation of righteousness. The imputation of righteousness, which is the acceptance of Christ's righteousness to our account. Which means you are now righteous because... Jesus became the penalty of sin. And so he swapped places with you. So if we're in a courtroom and you are guilty and your sin has damned you, you're guilty, there's no way out, you must pay the price for your sin. It is as if not just that you are declared innocent, but that someone has taken that penalty for you and they have given you their innocence. So the penalty of sin is death, that had to be paid for. That had to be accomplished, and that was accomplished by who? Jesus, because he died on the cross. And so he took the penalty, and now he places on you his righteousness. And so what David was saying is now when when God looks at you, he looks through his son, Jesus, and he sees Jesus' righteousness in you because you are justified. He does not see the filth and the mess and the sin that you have. He sees the righteousness of Christ. So Jesus steps into our place to receive the penalty. And we are declared righteous. Scripture says in 2 Corinthians that God made him who had no sin to be sin for us. So that in him we might become the righteousness of God. He made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. So when someone confesses with their mouth that Jesus is Lord and believes in their heart that God raised him from the dead, then they will be, what's the word? Saved. And in that moment, they are justified, declared righteous before God. So I'm going to answer the question that we asked in the very beginning. Can a Christian lose their salvation? I'm going to answer it right now. It doesn't mean that I'm almost done, so don't get too excited. In order for a Christian to lose their salvation, most, if not all, of what the Bible says happens when we come to faith in Jesus would have to be invalidated or revoked. 
it's almost as if Jesus would have to say to you, I give you the gift of my salvation, and then like a, nah, just kidding. He would have to change his mind. He'd have to revoke it. He'd have to take it away. It would be invalidated. So those who are in Christ, the Bible says that those who are in Christ are now a new creation. It would mean that now a Christian is now unnewly created. Is that even a thing? You can't go from a new creation to a non-new creation. So that's what that would mean. If someone lost their salvation, it would be that they were an unnewly creation. Scripture says that you have been bought with a price. Hear me, the redeemed, those who have been bought with a price, cannot be unpurchased. They cannot be traded back. You have been bought with a price and it is sealed. Scripture says that you have been declared righteous before God. For someone to lose their salvation, it would mean now that they have to be retried or go through a retrial of some sense and now be declared unrighteous. And that can't happen. You have been declared righteous. So, have you ever, um, <laughs> I was thinking about this earlier, have you ever been asked a question and as soon as someone asked you the question, you knew that there was like, Another question kind of behind that question that was kind of driving it, you know? Ladies, have you ever been asked, like, uh, by another guy, or not another guy, but a guy, uh, say something like, like, uh, hey, so uh, do you have a boyfriend? You know that behind that question, there's actually, like, another question. Like, if not, would you be interested in me being your boyfriend, right? Like, there's, there's a driving point behind that question. Um, I've found that oftentimes when people ask the question, can a Christian lose their salvation, there's more behind that question that they're asking. There's actually some other questions that are underneath that. And I want to tackle that for the next few moments that we have together. Let me be real honest with you tonight. When someone, this is what most people are asking when they ask that question. What about someone who says they are a Christian, but their actions don't actually back that up? Are they actually a Christian? Have they actually been saved? Like, where do we stand with that? I mean, they say they're a Christian, but a lot of how they act and behave doesn't really line up with what Christians should be doing. That is most of the time what people are asking when they ask the question about can a Christian lose their salvation. So just kind of a random example is one that I hear a lot is you got somebody... Uh, let's say Joe. Joe says he's a Christian. He grew up in a Christian home. He, he got saved when he was 13 years old. He even goes to church every now and then here in Statesboro on Sunday or Wednesday. But you're actually more likely to find Joe, you know, just having a good old time at the Blue Room. You know what I'm saying? Just getting, people say getting lit. They don't say that anymore, do they? Can you say it? Okay, just Joe likes to have a good time at the Blue Room, and, and he abuses alcohol, uh, maybe even smokes a little weed every now and then, uh, and he is, you know, definitely sleeping with his girlfriend, or maybe not even his girlfriend, he sleeps around a little bit. But Joe claims to be a Christian. So where does Joe actually stand? What do we do with that? Typically what we're really asking is, is Joe an actual Christian? And to answer that, I want to talk about another big Christian word. 
And that is the word sanctification. Can you say that to your neighbor? Sanctification. I'm watching. I'm watching. (laughs) Sanctification. (laughs) Now, once you have been justified by faith in Jesus Christ, the rest of your journey in this spiritual walk is now essentially sanctification. It is the process of maturing in faith that all of us are going through. If you've put your faith in Jesus, you've been justified, now you are on a journey of being sanctified is the term given to it. And it's basically just maturing in faith. It's, it's the, the, the hope and the prayer is that over however long I'm on this journey of walking with Jesus, that I would conform into the image of him, that I would begin to be Christ-like, that I would look like him, Right? So anytime that you get convicted of something, anytime really if someone comes up to you, another brother or sister in Christ and says to you, hey man, I see that you're, you know, you seem to really be struggling with anger, lust or whatever. And I want to kind of call you out on that and pull you into the light and say there's more for you. That is a gift. That is you being sanctified. Anytime you open your Bible and you read, anytime you pray, you are in the process of being sanctified. You're growing. Anytime you come to church, hopefully you come with the right heart and you are in the process of being sanctified. You are growing up. You are being formed into the image of Jesus. In fact, the scripture even talks about when you suffer for him, you are being sanctified. And so those who are following Jesus are in the process of being sanctified. I was thinking today about sanctification and about my own journey of maturing in faith and, and what that has looked like over the years for me. I was thinking back, gosh, I've been on this process of sanctification for like 24 years now. And um, I was just thinking about what that has looked like. So I'm, I'm driving through Statesboro thinking about that. And then I look in my rearview mirror and this guy is right on my tail, right? Anybody have a little road rage? You're just, you're, okay, you can admit it. And this guy is riding my tail. So I'm thinking about sanctification, okay, maturing in faith, blah, 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 Lord, love you. And then I just look back, and this guy will not get off of me for like a while, probably like a mile, a whole mile. He's riding my tail. And I just start to feel my blood boiling a little bit. I feel my blood pressure go up a little bit. I start to get a little bit frustrated. And so I finally make a turn, and he comes right beside me. So I roll down my window, and I say, you mother... I'm just kidding. I didn't say that. (laughs) I didn't say that. But what I did do is I gave him the look. Anybody know what the look is? Yeah. I just gave him the look. I just... I just stared at him. And here's the thing with the look is typically when, when you look eye to eye with somebody and, and they look back at you, you kind of turn away. When you do the look in a car, you can't turn away. You just, you just hold on to the look, right? And in my mind, no, I can't. I can't show you what the look is. In my mind, what I was thinking was, I hope that you have a terrible day. Like, I hope that you contract some rare stomach virus and just have a rough night. That, is, that was what I was thinking about this guy. Like not enough to make you go to the hospital, but just enough to make you feel terrible. That's what I was praying over this guy. <laughs> and, and, and as I did that, I'm thinking about sanctification. And I just go, good grief, Lord. Like I have a long ways to go. 24 years in this process. And I'm still getting like worked up over somebody that was driving a little bit too close to me. We're all in the journey of sanctification. If you have been justified and you are now on that path of walking with Jesus, you're in the journey of maturing and being sanctified. I have a lot of maturing to do. 
And so I want to talk briefly about maturing in faith and what that looks like. Because it's very important that you know that God's salvation and his love for you is unconditional and it is just out of his pure goodness. His pure goodness. But hear me closely. His nearness to you, his proximity to you is in response to your seeking him. Okay? His salvation and his love for you is just out of his pure kindness and goodness to you. It's a free gift that's offered. But his nearness to you is in response to you seeking him. And it is nearness to him that brings about change in our life. It's important that you know that. That maturing in faith is not about trying harder, but about drawing nearer. Now, does drawing nearer require some effort? Absolutely. Absolutely does. Scripture talks about working out your salvation. I get real tired of people who say, like, you know, this Christian walk is nothing but you just kind of sitting back and enjoying the goodness of God. Uh, it is fueled by the goodness of God, but grace is not opposed to effort. Grace is opposed to earning. So you cannot earn grace. But this walk and getting close to Jesus requires some effort. And so I place myself before Jesus in the morning or in the afternoon or at night and I say, Lord, speak to me. Speak to me through your word. Let me read this. Lord, talk to me as I pray to you. I place myself in that position so that he will draw near to me, to me as I draw near to him. And some people never grow in maturity of faith. They never see freedom from sin and they never see fruit go beyond what they can naturally produce because they do not draw nearer. And so they have this moment of justification, this moment of now I'm justified before God. I stand not guilty, but instead I stand free. I do not have to pay the penalty for my sin. Jesus paid it on my behalf. So now I'm justified before him and they will live the rest of their life never maturing in faith, never going on the journey of sanctification because they don't draw near. And so many people believe in Jesus and they mark Christian in some box that they have to fill out. But they go their whole life without seeing the activity of God in their life because they worship the world and not him. And they're consumed by the things of this world and not consumed by Jesus. So they never experience the life to the full that Jesus has come to offer. And yet, on the other side, some people live so rigorously and intently close to Jesus that they will see heaven on earth. Like literally, and that's the prayer we're asked to pray, right, in the scriptures, is that your will be done, thy kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So literally we're praying that what is true in heaven would be true here on earth. And some people live so near to Jesus that they begin to see that happen. That's the dream, isn't it? That's the hope. I want that. I hope you want that too. I want that. And so let me close out tonight with just three truths about sanctification that I think are really important and then we'll be done. And number one is this. Sanctification is not a straight line. 
It is not a straight line. Sometimes the journey of following Jesus, no matter if it's been 24 years like me or if it's been two years like you or two months like you, I'm not sure where you're at, but it is, it is more like a roller coaster than it is just a straight up and to the right, you know? And I think we've got a picture here I was going to show you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So what we often think is that it's just this straight line. In reality, it looks more like the stock market. It is up and down, up and down. It's a roller coaster. Sometimes it's good. Sometimes it's not good. Sometimes I feel the nearness of God like it's right next to me. It feels so tangible and close to me. Sometimes it feels far. I, th I was thinking like if you were to take a snapshot of my life at different points in the, in the years that I've been following Jesus, there would be times where you would look at me and go, man, that guy is an all-star Christian. And there are other times where you would look at my journey and you would say, that guy I'm not even sure he's a Christian. It is not a straight line. I think about, for me, like, um, I don't know what has happened. I, years ago, throughout my life, I've always been considered kind of a patient person. Uh, I think it's one of the reasons my wife uh, married me is because I was so patient. Joke's on her. It hasn't lasted. Um, <laughs> because I was so patient. And I don't know if it's because of kids or or just growing up and now adulting or what it is or spiritual warfare or a combination of all of those. But I feel like I do not have hardly any patience anymore. Like I'm, I, I, there's times I just I jump into kind of quick temperedness or anger or whatever. And I'm going, where is the patient man that I used to be, right? And here's what's wild. I'm not okay with that. But at the same time, I'm okay with that. Let me describe what I'm, what I'm trying to say. I'm not okay with the fact that I'm not patient because I know that's a fruit of the Spirit and I want the Spirit to work that out in me, that I would be a patient man. I desire for that. I really do. And so I'm seeking the Lord on, God, would you make me patient, make me sensitive to your Spirit whenever I have moments where I need to be patient. I'm asking for that. But I'm also okay with it, meaning like I realize the path looks like this. And there's times where I struggle. There's times where things are a fight. I'm not sitting here going, I don't think I'm a Christian because I don't have patience. I don't think that's true. I think for whatever reason, that's an area of struggle for me right now. And that's part of the sanctification process. Number two, sanctification is typically visible through our lives. You can typically see the process of sanctification being worked out in people. Let me ask you a question. Is it reasonable to say that it should be evident to people that I am a Christian? Is that reasonable to say? That it should be evident to people who watch me that I am a Christian. I think it is. It should be evident to people. I like what Romans chapter 7 verse 4 says. It says, likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ so that you may belong to another, to him, so that you may belong, just what we just sang, to belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead, in order that we bear fruit for God. So there is a desire that your life bears fruit for God. So the goal of my sanctification is that I be formed into the image of Jesus that my life look more and more like him. But no doubt along that journey, there's things that exist in my life and that come from my life that are not aligned with what it means to be a Christian. 
what it means to follow Jesus, patience being one of those. And that is bad fruit coming from me. That's not good fruit. That's bad fruit. And that is fruit that needs to be pruned away. And thanks be to God that he prunes that away. And sometimes the pruning is painful. Sometimes it doesn't come easy. Sometimes it hurts. Sometimes it comes with somebody calling you out. Sometimes it comes in a difficult conversation. Sometimes it comes through pain in your life. Sometimes it comes through you reaping the earthly consequences of the sin that you're in. But he will prune the bad fruit away. And that's in his kindness. But as long as I abide in Jesus, he will cut that away and he will bring forth good fruit. And so if someone isn't lining up with what they say they believe, or another way of saying that is if there's bad fruit coming from a Christian, then there's two possible things that are happening. One, Joe that we mentioned earlier, two possible scenarios. It's possible that they never really believed in Jesus in the first place. They may have done all the religious things. They may have grown up in a Christian home. It's possible that they never truly really put their faith in Jesus. They never actually surrendered their life to him. They were just putting on a show. That's possible. Or it's possible that they're struggling, that they're fighting, that they're dealing with some hardship, that they're suffering from a fallen, broken world and it's leading them into a life of sin. So you've got two possibilities there. The struggle is which one is it? And we often want to be able to, we want to know the answer. We want to know which one is it? We want to know, was, was Joe really a Christian? And to be really candid with you, I want to challenge you. I think the easier thing to say is, well, they're just not really saved. He wasn't really saved in the first place. Because if he was, he really wouldn't want to do those things. But the problem with that is that you are picking which bad fruit you want to evaluate them on. And I got newsflash for you. You got some bad fruit too. And we typically want to evaluate someone's sanctification or someone's even salvation based upon the sin that we don't actually struggle with. Isn't that funny? We always pick the sin in somebody else that we want to evaluate, and it just so happens it's not the sin that we struggle with. But I would challenge you with this. You've got some too. You've got some, some too. Do you resist and repent of all the sin in your life that a Christian should resist and repent of? Or maybe you just don't struggle with the same sin that he struggles with. And so you feel as if you've got some kind of higher ground to stand on when reality is you don't. So I can look at that guy and go, man, you know, all that stuff that he's doing is just proof that he's not really a Christian. But if I'm really honest with you, what about all the times that I don't serve my wife like I should? What about all the times that I'm not gentle and patient with my kids? What about all the times when I have bad motives in ministry? What about all the times when I screw things up? 
I mean, if we evaluated my salvation based upon my fruit, then to be honest, I'm kind of screwed too. Now, I'm not saying that we all just relax on sin and just, you know, hey, we all have it, so no big deal. I think we, we ought to be really sensitive to it. And honestly, we ought to be angry at it when it comes up in our lives because it's preventing us from having a connection with God. But the danger here is that you become the older brother in the prodigal son story who's mad that the younger brother is getting the blessing and the attention from the father. And what you're doing is you're saying, how come we're both getting the love of the father when he screwed up? And I'm over here trying to do the right thing and doing the right things, and I'm resisting sin and fighting sin. He's not, and yet we both get the love of the Father. And I just want to challenge you that that could be your motive if you have a tendency to point a finger at somebody and make some sort of judgment or some sort of like uh, decision about their salvation that I don't think you have the right to make. The father loved both sons equally. And that ticked the older brother off because he was the good son. And so if you know someone who claims to be a Christian but is clearly living contrary to the way of Jesus, then I would tell you this, a proper response is this, pray for them. Pray for them. Secondly, encourage them to return to the Lord. That's okay. You can do that. Encourage them. Hey, return to the Lord. Like, He's got more for you than this. This, and, and don't look with a, and, and don't go up with a pointy finger at them. Hey, you're being a hypocrite. You better turn away. But in a loving, like, gentle challenge, hey, listen, this is actually not where life is found. Because part of, part of the, the thing that hangs us up, if that's our tendency, is to, to question somebody's salvation in that. Part of it is that we're just holding on to the fact that both of us are going to get eternal life one day. That doesn't seem fair. But here's what I would say. You don't know the kind of demons that that man is going to fight, that Joe is going to fight one day. And there are earthly consequences to decisions that we make. And so as equal to where are we going to spend eternity one day is the what are we going to experience here on earth now. And so if you're resisting and fighting sin with everything that, you're ha with, with everything that you have and you're trying to live for Jesus and you're trying to stay away from certain things and do certain things and trying to align your life with him, then hear me, you are going to experience life and life to the full here on earth. Good for you. Rejoice in that. That should be enough. Rejoice in that. That's good news for you. And it ought to break our heart when people fall away, when people join in with sin, that they won't get that. They won't get that. And so I just want to encourage you with one last thing tonight. I was reading Hebrews chapter 6. And I wanted to read it for us tonight as we close out, and then we're going to sing a song and be done. It says that we have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain where our forerunner Jesus has entered on our behalf. We have this hope as an anchor for our soul. 
this imagery, I don't know, it captivates my heart. I was thinking about an anchor. You know, if, if I'm the boat and life is kind of the, the sea, the storm, it's the, the water that the boat is, is rising on, falling on, and the anchor is Jesus. In this metaphor, who is holding who? Is, that, is the boat holding the anchor or is the anchor holding the boat? I really like one preacher said it like this. He said, most of us think of the Christian walk as like there's an anchor in heaven that Jesus is our anchor and he drops the rope down to earth and now it is your job for the rest of your journey here on earth to hold on to the rope with everything that you got. You better grip it tight. Hold on tight. Don't let go. Don't fall away. Don't mess up. And we just encourage people to hold on tight but in reality, it is more like this. It is more like he has dropped the anchor down to us in the person of Jesus. And he is now holding on to you and he's holding on to me. He is the anchor for our souls that we can rest in his permanence that he offers. And so here's my point in this. At the end of the day, when we get done with life and, and we get to heaven one day, I promise you, we will not rejoice in our commitment to him. The story will not be, not be about how well you committed your life to him and how well you held on to that rope. The story will be that in spite of your lack of commitment to him, he held on to you. That will be the story. Will not be your commitment to him. It will be that he committed himself to you. And every single one of us will fall at the feet of Jesus in all of the fact that he rescued and loved sinners like you and me and that he held tightly onto us as an anchor. Not that you held on to him, but he held on to you. That will be the story. And I just want that to be the end of the night tonight because many of us try to hold tightly into our performance and we think that what you know justifies us before God is the fact that we're pretty good people. If we're honest, we're doing the right things, we're staying away from the wrong things, we're pretty good people. And I just want you to know that God's grace and mercy is much wider than we think or imagine. And it is not that you hold on to him, but that he holds on to you. That is the gospel. And the fact that he holds on to you despite your failure and mess up and shortcomings, the fact that he continues to hold on to you is what compels us to live for him. What you were saying, David, it's what compels us to go, God, I offer you my life because I'm so amazed, I'm in awe that you would hold on to me in spite of the fact that I fail you. So that's the gospel. That's the message. We have to keep our eyes off of our performance and what we do to satisfy him. Instead, we have to put our eyes on what he has done, his performance, and what he has done to justify us. And so my prayer tonight for you is that maybe you would just be reminded of the fact that he's holding on to you, that this whole faith thing that we're living in is fully just faith in him and who he is and who he is.
He's our cornerstone. He's the rock. So I want to pray for you tonight. You bow your heads and close your eyes. So Father, I pray for each person in the room tonight. God, that you would adjust our thinking so that we stand in awe of who you are and what you have done for us. God, that we would walk out of here not glorifying our attempts or our good works or how we have held on to you, but rather amazed that you would hold on to us through the ups and the downs of this whole journey. God, I pray for the student in this room who is unsure that you even love them anymore because their downs are so low. God, I pray that you would remind them that they are justified by faith in you. And that you offer your forgiveness, you offer your grace, you offer your love, that you are pursuing them like that father pursued the prodigal son, that you're waiting and you're even running after them. So, Lord, draw them to yourself. Draw them to yourself. Set us apart, Lord Jesus, we pray that you would set us apart as men and women who love you, who are so compelled by your grace that we live for you. We pray all of this in your son's name.